worthy today. Hallelujah. Do you believe He's worthy today? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, if you would turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read three verses, 12 through 14, and we'll get right into the Word. So good to see all of you in the house of the Lord this morning. All of you that are joining us online, thank you for tuning in. God bless you. We're glad you're here and uh, so excited for what God is going to do today. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then returned they to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. This would be his actual uh, stepbrothers. And for just a few minutes, I want to preach today what the Lord has given me, and that's this title, The Longest Week. Amen, The Longest Week. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is your church, not mine, not ours. You are the head of the church. I pray today that you would minister as only you can, for your word alone saves, delivers, and heals. It is both anointed and appointed for this hour and this moment. And so, Lord, I bind every spirit of hindrance, and I loose your anointing that we might have open ears and understanding minds to know what you want to say. Lord, without you, we are nothing. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power, confirming your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to share with you a, a theme uh, that would be trusting God, if you want to kind of just thematically describe this message. And because of that, I want to read for you possibly the most quoted verses about trusting the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart, and occasionally lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways acknowledge Him, and He might direct your paths. Yeah, exactly. If I could have a second chance at that, I'll try again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not onto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Now that's easy to read. It's easy to say but practicing that is a whole different ballgame altogether. But that God directs our paths literally means that He makes the crooked paths in the proverb previously, chapter 2, the crooked paths of the wicked, He makes them straight for us. He, he causes us to successfully walk in His will, obediently following Him. And so, I want to lay that out at the outset here because trusting God sometimes 
Uh, we can look back and thank God for those times, and we can look back and praise the Lord for what, what's happened, but sometimes when we're in the midst of something where we have to trust God, it's hard. And we seem to forget sometimes, oh, I, I went through this here yesterday, but, or last week, or last year, but we get back into another situation, and we sometimes say, okay, Lord, what am I going to do here? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do? And whatever the, the reality is in that, if it's financial, marital, whatever, we sometimes wonder what's going to happen. Well, you see, the disciples have spent three and a half years with Jesus, and now He is gone forever. They will be filled with His Spirit a week later. They don't know it'll be a week later. They don't know how long they're going to tarry. But after His ascension, they won't see Him in flesh again until He returns in the clouds, until they rise from the dead and meet the Lord in the air, as 1 Thessalonians says. This is the last time they will have ever seen Him alive. So no wonder they stood there gazing. I know sometimes we pick on them a little bit, and even I have too in preaching, but, but wouldn't you? <laughs> you get to see God in flesh? And, and he, he ascends before you're like, no, come back. What am I going to do now? Jesus has told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. Here's what's interesting. He doesn't tell them how long they have to tarry. Now, if this happened in modern day society, oh, dear Lord, we want everything so super fast. I mean, we've got drive through everything. Did you know a few years ago, I actually saw a drive through funeral parlor. I'm like, if you do not have time to go sit in a funeral home and, and, and give the, 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 the bereaved your, your you know, uh, love and honor and respect for an hour, come on, you got to drive. Oh, yeah, okay, he's dead, boom, okay, move on. My goodness, what is wrong with society? So if this verse was here, Terry, we might think, okay, 30 minutes and I'm out. <laughs> Ain't nothing happened yet. They don't know how long it's going to be. They know where to go, Jerusalem. They know it's going to be an upper room, but they don't know how long they're going to be there. They know that they're going to be endued with power from on high. They just don't know how it's going to happen. There is a lot of unknown. I know where to go. But I don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Anybody can relate to that? God's given you a promise. God's given you a word. And you're like, okay, I'm still tarrying. Still holding on. Back in the days of testimony services, some of the elders would get up and say, I'm yet holding on. They had sadness, no doubt. Realizing they would never see Jesus in the flesh again. They undoubtedly felt a degree of fear. Realizing that he told them they're going to be martyred. You shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost come upon you shall be witnesses. That word witnesses is not to testify. It means literally, it's the Greek word for martyrdom. It's to, to testify with your life. What's that going to look like? What's that going to feel like? What's that going to... They've just seen him crucified. They've just seen him martyred. But once the angel told them, why stand you here gazing? Go. They obeyed. So how do you trust God against all odds? What do you do when, 
what you're doing doesn't seem to make logical sense. You've got other obligations, right? Terry for a week? <laughs> wow. Well, here's how we do it. And I want to talk to you about a few things today that the Lord has shown me. First of all, never underestimate a day. It was a Sabbath day's journey. There's something about this that's important from verse 12. Don't ever underestimate a day, especially the first day. And here's why. If you can get past the first day, you can make it to the second and the third and the fourth. See, a lot of people think fast 21 days social media. Well, take it one day at a time. If you get past the first day, guess what? You can do the second. You can do the third. I heard a testimony today of some young people who, you know, uh, one parent was talking to them and they're like, no, we're not going to do it. We're, you know, we're going to stay true to it. We got two more weeks. We got one more week. Praise God. I love it. But don't ever underestimate a day. Far too often in life, spiritually and materially, there's a tendency to underestimate the value of a day's journey. Now, for us, a day's journey is completely different. Number one, we don't have Sabbath laws in place to determine that on the Sabbath you can only walk about a half a mile. We don't have limitations that govern that and what we can do, and we can't carry our bed and all these other things. Um, and some of those were added uh, uh, as well, but they, had, they could only go a half a mile. This is unique because Jesus would have known this, and out of respect for fulfilling the law, He would have not ascended from Mount Nebo over in, you know, what is now the country of Jordan, and that would have been, you know, about 40 miles from Jerusalem, but, but rather he did it from Mount Olive, very close, about a half a mile from where the upper room would be. According to Acts, when the disciples left Jesus, it was only a short walk, but its implications were huge. And here's, here's the point. Sadly enough, that half a mile distance Unfortunately, a lot of people will never make it. It's a half a mile of destiny that few people select to go. And case in point, 500 people follow Jesus regularly. I've been in a replica in Israel of, of what the upper room would have looked like. I say replica because we know Israel was destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem, the city, was, was leveled. But a replica of what that room would have been like. It could have fit 500 people. And 500 people followed him regularly, but there was only 120 if you keep reading through into Acts chapter 2, and even Acts 1 indicates there's 120 of them there. So what happened to the other 380? Did they not go? Did they hear the message and only tarry for a day? Did they go for a little bit and leave? We can only assume. We don't really know. Scripture doesn't say, so we have to be careful because there is no Scripture there. But I, we can know it's a fact that 500 people regularly followed him. And if 120 of them are there, then it's probable that all 500 of them heard him say, go and tarry. So where were they? You see, the majority sometimes don't make that distance. It's, but it's what separates the world from the church. It's often this quest for pressing on that we forget the power that lies in a single day. If we're willing to just live daily, the commitment that comes from that is great reward with God. You see, like a river, our purpose starts out like that little trickle on a mountaintop. Have you ever seen the Mississippi River? You ever seen the Missouri River? 
I've been on the Amazon River, the largest in the world. It don't start big. Pastor Lucas, I think you preached a message a few years ago about seeing the, the, the headwaters of where some of these rivers began. It's, it's, it's just a little stream. It's a little thing. But that little thing turns into something big. And the point is this, if we'll just keep serving daily, two, one day we'll add to two, and two to, to three, and three to four, and before you know it, we've got a week, and before you know it, we've got a month, before you know it, we've got a year, before you know it, we can look back and say, I've been living for God X amount of years. Can I say this? Just as backsliding doesn't happen overnight, living for God doesn't happen overnight either. It's a daily commitment to get up and say, I'm going to serve Him faithfully. Starts with that mindset. Don't underestimate the small streams of purpose that are flowing in your life right now. But rather give yourself to the momentum of God's calling. The Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. If they had refused to make the Sabbath day's journey, they would not have lingered for the whole week. They wouldn't have been there. They, they, you know, who knows what would have happened. I wonder if possibly Mary Magdalene might have encouraged them to linger. Now, I'm not suggesting that they didn't want to go. Uh, I'm not suggesting that they disobeyed the angel to say. But what I'm wondering is, I wonder if Mary might have reminded them of something that had happened about 43 days earlier, over 40 roughly days earlier. You see, after Jesus was resurrected, Peter and John ran to the tomb. Both looked in, both walked away. Mary lingered, and Mary was the first to see Jesus. There's something about somebody that'll linger. There's something about somebody that'll say, you know what, I'm going to just wait a little bit. I, I, I know it might, I might be hungry after the altar call, but if I just linger a little bit, I might, I might touch Jesus and he just might touch me. And so maybe Mary encouraged them. Let me tell you that if you're having a hard week, I want to encourage you today to just take the first step. And maybe you already have because you're here. Maybe you're tuned in and you're already watching, so thank you. And if you'll obey, and if you'll linger, you will experience God's supernatural empowerment. I wonder what it felt like as they lingered. We know that they conducted some business. A couple days in, they're like, okay, uh, Judas is no longer with us. The book of Psalms says, let, let you know, uh, him be gone and another take his place and and they voted, and they cast lots, and they voted on Matthias. And, you know, I don't know what else they might have done. We do know, according to what the Word says here, they, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So at least they, there was some prayer going on, and, you know, and, and supplication that, you know, literally asking God and seeking God's perfect will. But they, day by day by day. But they had to get past the first day. The second thing I want to tell you about this is the journey will always have contradictions. This journey that they're going to make a half a mile, no doubt there was a lot of fears. No wonder they needed to pray because they needed to get that fear covered in the presence and the peace of Jesus. There was no doubt discouragement. 
even though it's only a half a mile journey, I wonder what others might have thought they were doing. Did, did somebody scoff and say, where's Jesus? We saw you walking up to the Mount Olive with him. Where is he? Where'd he go? Well, he ascended. Yeah, right, ascended. Yeah, likely story. We didn't believe he rose anyway, so now, now you're telling us he ascended? Oh, yeah, okay. I'm not suggesting he's happened. I don't know. Please, please bear with me here. I'm, I'm not trying to add to the Bible, and I hope you understand my heart with that this morning, but it's very probable some of these things could have happened because there were mockers and there were scoffers, and the Bible talks about that. So there's a very real chance that Pastor Lucas, they're walking there and, and they're having their own, fighting their own fears and somebody scoffing and saying, where is he now? Ha <laughs> ascended. That's a good one. <laughs> what are you going to do? We're going to tarry in Jerusalem. How long? Don't know. What's going to happen? We're going to be in due with power from on high. <laughs> you guys, oh, you Jesus followers. But they kept making it. The journey is always going to have contradictions. Did you know there's always going to be people that will tell you you can't do it? Here's what I've found. <laughs> that a lot of times those people telling me I can't do it, it just, it just fuels my fire. Really? Okay. You keep saying that. <laughs> I'm going to keep living for God. <laughs> Turn it into fuel to, to compel you to keep on keeping on. Hallelujah. Journeys like this always begin in this manner. But those who obey and endure and tarry experience God's power. You know, Abraham, Abram, yes, Lord, leave your country, leave your kindred, leave everything. Go to a land I'm going to give you. Really? Okay. Some of you wives, can, can you imagine your husband coming home? Okay. We're leaving everything. I know I just got a bonus and a raise and all that, but we're leaving. Where are we going? Uh, I don't know. We're just going to follow the Lord. Really? You've been praying or smoking? I mean, you know. What? Really? Okay. But Abram and his family went and obeyed and trusted God, and he's now called the friend of God, father of the faithful. Gideon. I love this. All right, guys, we need an army. 32,000 men volunteer. That's a pretty good-sized army right there, okay? The Lord comes down and says, you got too many. Too, 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 too many? Um, <laughs> you realize we're facing innumerable hosts? It's already 10 to 1 odds. <laughs> okay, what do I do? Go down to the brook and drink. You know, okay. What do I do then? Well, those that they get on one knee and kind of lap it up and look around, keep those and send the rest home. Oh, Okay. Actually, he did this twice. That was the second one. The first one was he got up and said, all the mama's boys, you can go home. And they, they all went home. They're like, thanks. <laughs> Didn't want to sign up anyway. You know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, there's this long line of, you know, uh, men who are standing in a line that's henpecked. There's this line over here that's not henpecked. And there's one man in the line. And the guy comes up and he goes, why are you in this line? He goes, my wife told me to get here. <laughs> anyway. 10,000 or, or 20,000 of those guys get up and leave. They're like, okay, we're going home. You give us a free break, we're, we're done. We ain't fighting. Then he, then he goes to the brook and 9,700 of them, you know, 
and lap it up and, and not look around, but only 300. And he's like, God, are you sure? It was 10 to 1 odds. Now it's 100 to 1 odds. Yeah, by the way, you're not going to take any weapons either. Huh? Oh, let me get this straight. We're fighting a battle against an army with no weapons. I mean, I know you're up there and we're down here, but clean your glasses off, Lord. Hello? But what does he do? He obeys and God brings a great victory. Ruth, sorry, your husband has died. You can stay here. You can remarry. No, Naomi, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God. She had to change her ways. But once she did, she became the great-grandmother of David. Esther, fearful to approach the king, calls a fast of all the Jews. They do. She realizes if she goes in and he doesn't raise the golden scepter, she's dead. But persistence and faith and trust in God compelled her to step into that, that courtroom, that throne room where he was and take a chance. You see, the forward progress of persevering will always have accompanying contradictions. That's why Paul said, I press toward the mark. He's indicating that there's going to be some fights and the devil's going to try to keep you back at times. But if you'll keep on pressing, if you'll keep on reaching, you can achieve what God wants for you. Sometimes the contradictions will be there until there's a dying out of things of lesser value. Sometimes we have to trade good things for noble things. Lesser things for chief things. Worldly things for heavenly things. Temporal things for eternal. I want revival at any cost. I want growth personally and across our church and across our world. But the only way it's going to happen is if I continue with one accord. They didn't just make the day's journey. They continued with one accord. That means a singular purpose. All the fears, all the doubts, they brought it together and said, I know we feel this way, but if we'll just keep praying, if we'll just keep believing, they didn't deny that they had fears. They didn't deny that they had doubts. But what they did do is say, if we'll just keep our eyes on Jesus, if we'll just keep our eyes focused on what He told us, it will happen. They had a belief. Why? Because they had seen the fact that God cannot lie. And even though you've not seen Jesus in the flesh, you know that to be true. I dare say to you that the great seekers of the Bible were all uncertain until the task was finally fulfilled. I want you to think about the man that sold everything to buy the pearl of great price. What did his family think of him? What did others think of him? What did the, the bank think of him when he brought in and said, I'm selling everything, I'm going to go buy this pearl? What if it's not what you want it to be? What if it's not as big as you think it is? All the doubts, all the confusion, maybe himself even felt it until he had it in his possession. 
The man who sold everything to buy the field because the treasure was in the field. He didn't bargain for a lesser price. He sold it all and and may have had doubts. Matthew, we we don't see him questioning in that moment, but follow me and and okay. And and he leaves the tax booth and and he leaves the collecting of taxes and follows Jesus. Peter, James, Andrew, and John. Okay, I need you to follow me. I need you to come with me. They leave their nets. They leave everything and they follow him, not knowing all that they're going to get into, not knowing where the income going to be, but they follow him willingly. I could go on of others who have sought him, but I know this, they that believe he exists and they that diligently seek him will find him. I don't mean to make this about me today, but I know what it's like to have discouragement, tugging at your heart when you're trying to encourage others. It's the bittersweet joy of being a pastor. I know what it's like to have the doubt tear at your faith while you're trying to build others up. I know what it's like to endure criticism that will drain the life out of the spiritual vision that you have. I know what it's like to have desire ebbing out of your soul while you keep your game face on and go one more round with the devil. I know what it's like to have the disappointment with my own self. High aspirations, visions, ideas, only to be stifled by the daily responsibilities of life. Yet all of these things that will have to be fought against every contradiction I'm looking at it not as stumbling blocks, but as stepping stones to keep moving. I might get knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I might fall, but I shall arise. I know it's tough. I might have to slow to a crawl. I might have to get on my hands and my knees, Pastor Lucas, but I'm going to keep on keeping on and I'm not going to stop till I reach the goal. I I was born in the fire and I refuse to die in the smoke. So that leads to the third point. They kept moving forward. The Bible says they returned to Jerusalem. And when they were come, they went up. They went to the upper room. In other words, they didn't just make the journey. They didn't just continue steadfastly. In other words, they said, we're going we're gonna to continue. We're going to keep on going. Hallelujah. Why stand you here gazing has now turned into them continuing steadfastly. You see, it's kind of like 2 Samuel 5, verse 10. There's a powerful verse here. And, and listen to what it says. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord of hosts was with him. Can I tell you, we just need a went on kind of spirit that will rise up in us. We need that kind of, it's time to just go on and keep going. I know you may not feel goosebumps yet. I know you may not feel the power of the Holy Ghost yet. But if you'll raise this hand and then raise that hand, if you'll put those hands together, if you'll shout hallelujah, something will begin to stir up. The Bible says, stir up the gift that is in you hallelujah Mm. something happens when it begins to turn Jacob went on crossed the brook 
And God changed his name. The priests went on and stepped in the Jordan and it parted. Elisha went on and caught the mantle as it fell as Elijah was taken up. Can I tell you, if you'll just go on, you'll also grow great. But if you don't go on, you won't grow great. The dilemma of life presents itself. We get stuck in a place where we ought to go on. You see, far too many camp out at points of successes and revivals. And by the same token, there's a lot of people who end up stopping at their places of defeat. The Bible tells us that, that they went from strength to strength, victory to victory. I'm glad for what God's done. I celebrate what God's done in the past. In a, in a couple of months when we have our 25th anniversary, we're going to thank God for the Tonys coming and planning a church here and praise God for that. But our best days are not behind us. And thank God for what He's doing yet. But our best days are still yet before us. I thank God for every victory. I thank God for every miracle. I thank God for every soul baptized, filled with the Spirit, etc. and so forth. But there's still more to come. And I'm going to keep striving. And I'm going to keep planting. And I'm going to keep watering. Expecting God to give the increase. So much dies when we don't progress forward after our victories. It took God 10 plagues to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. They get to the, the, the Pi-Hahiroth, the, the gorge. It opened up to a wide beach and mountains on either side, and they're trapped. And Why'd you bring us out here to die, Moses? Moses goes to pray, and God interrupts him and says, hold out your staff. Tell the people that they go forward. Let me tell you, it's time for some people of God to go forward. But there's a sea in front of me. Yes, but watch. God's about to open it before you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need to keep moving after that great prayer revival. Don't build a monument to it. Thank God for it, but keep moving. There's another one coming. Keep going after that time of fasting. I hope to God none of you on the 22nd day after this fast open up and just blitz your social media and just, you know, gorge. Seriously, I'm not saying keep doing the fast, but, but for the love of everything holy, I wonder how many of you might say, you know what, this time has given me some time to reevaluate what's really important in life. God may use you. The gifts of the Spirit, that's great, but keep going. Go on to a greater level of growth. Hallelujah. Sometimes there are opportunities that will only present themselves once or twice. And we must take those opportunities, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Because God has promised that His Spirit will be vibrant until He returns. The fact that Daniel records that they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits right at the height of the context of the tribulation tells me that God is going to have a thriving church. And in order to do the going forward, in order to take that day's journey, in order to push through all the obstacles, you have to descend into greatness. I know that sounds counterintuitive. I know that sounds like, wait a minute, uh, descend, 
greatness. That's like oxymoronic. Well, with, that's the way it is with Jesus. To, to live, you've got to die. The Mount of Olives, Jerusalem is surrounded by um, mountains. Imagine if, if this is a, a small-scale version, literally mountains on every side. And, and about you know, where uh, Jeff and Taisha are would, would be the, the centerpiece uh, where the upper room is. But it would be down. It would be like a bowl effect. Anybody ever been to a stadium? Or, uh, or not a stadium so much, but maybe a, a uh, uh, Baxter Arena, something like that, where you get this bowl effect, and, and right? And, and I guess Memorial Stadium's kind of like that too, right? And, well, at, at, at such places, where's the focal point? I mean, yeah, you might look at your friend and once a high five, yeah, we're winning, whatever, or we're losing, but you're looking down. It, that's the way it was. So they had to descend from Mount Olive in order to ascend to the upper room into greatness. Sometimes you've got to leave that, but they probably wanted to stay there. Oh, I mean, Peter, he, when, when, when they had the Mount of Trinity for regular, let's build three tabernacles. Let's make a memorial. Open up a shopping mall. <laughs> yeah. No, Peter, that's not what we're... They probably may have thought the same thing. Maybe Peter had that same idea. Oh, we need to erect a monument here. No, no, descend from that. But I, I've got something better for you. You have to descend from the mountain into Jerusalem. You have to descend to make it to the upper room. You have to descend from contentment to discontentment. What? Wait a minute. Yeah, discontent with where I'm at now. I want that spirit. I want that power. I want more of God. I don't want to be content with a check mark. Came to church today, check mark. Felt the presence of God, check mark. No, no, no. I want a relationship with him. <clears throat> a lot of people make the journey to church. And some think of the gas, the money, the time. And if the preacher, God forbid, goes a little bit past 1230, okay, lunchtime. But let me ask you this. Have you considered the Possibility of daily addition and perseverance. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He starts by saying, and beside this, in other words, indicating there's something before. He's talking about the promises of God that we've received in the verses before. Because we have those promises, because we're filled with the Spirit, beside this, giving all diligence, add. There's an understood you. You add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. It's this thing where you are daily taking and adding it to your life. Can I tell you this, and I don't mean to sound rude, but if the only Bible reading you're getting is when the preacher says, let's open to such and such text, that's not enough. If the only prayer you're getting is when we open the service with prayer, you're not getting enough. Add to your faith virtue. The Bible says God gives us a measure of faith. But what are we doing with it? Are we adding to it? But here's, here's the benefit of doing so. Look at verse 8. For if these things be in you, all the things you just added, what does it do? If they're in you and abound, in other words, you, you don't just add them and, and you've got eight check marks now because there's eight qualities. Boom, I got them all added now. 
I want my medal to wear, you know, on my lapel here. No. Abounding means you continuously work in them. They're there, but you're practicing them. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want to know more about Jesus? How many of you want to grow in your knowledge of him? How many of you want to develop, uh, uh, you know, ideas and think, wow, man, that's what the Lord means there. Well, if you'll add to your faith virtue and so on and so forth, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He takes the negative in the next verse. He says, but he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That, that's the person that, that lives. I got the Holy Ghost on March 17, 1842. Praise the Lord. Good. What are you doing with it? I got my certificate. I was baptized. Great. Are you living it? Are you loving it? Baptism you put on Christ. What are you doing with it? I don't want to be blind. So then he goes back. He says, wherefore the rather... <laughs> Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's referring to the, the new birth. Election there is the word elect. You know, we're all called to salvation, right? And, and those of us that respond, we're, we're born again of the water and spirit. But watch this. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Now, Pastor Lucas, I'm not a theologian, but that says, if I'll do what God says to do, I've got assurance I'm not going to fall. Is that what you're seeing? I mean, you can say no if you disagree, because I want to make sure we're on the same page here. You agree? You see that? Put it back up, please. If you do these things, you shall Never fall. But there's a colon. Don't put the next verse just yet. How many of you want assurance that you're going to make it? How many of you would like to know that, you know, and it's, it's good for us to look inwardly. It's good for us to, to examine ourselves. The Bible says to do that. It's good for us to die daily. But a, a surefire way to make sure you're never going to fall is to make sure you're doing the rest of what this, this verse is saying here. These verses are saying. But watch this. Not only will you never fall, but watch the next verse. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you go on to uh, you know, uh, any kind of uh, app that, that you can schedule a you know, vacation or something, and they're going to give you a confirmation number. And if something goes wrong, and maybe they spelled your name wrong because, you know, the... They didn't know how to spell your name or whatever. Or they, one time I, I had a reservation with uh, Pastor Lucas. We, we were going somewhere. And they had Kirk as like a first name and Patrick as a, as a last name. And I'm like, no, it's not Kirk Patrick. It's Kirkpatrick, you know. But thankfully I had a, a confirmation number to say. See right here? 852-618. Oh, oh, yes. Mr. Kirkpatrick. Yes, yes, yes. There's, you know, it's one word. <laughs> And, and, and if you're feeling like that, you, this is a confirmation number. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. That's your confirmation number. If I'll do this, if I'll let these things abound in me, if I'll just daily keep living for God, I'm never going to fall and I'm going to see Jesus again. 
Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day when he lifts the church up out of this world. I'm looking forward to the day when the last trumpet sounds. Hallelujah. And you can imagine when Peter wrote this, having seen Jesus ascended, having heard the angels say, this same Jesus whom you've seen ascend shall come again. When he's writing this verse in the second epistle, I know I'm about to die, but the dead in Christ are going to rise first and I'm going to see Him and enter the everlasting kingdom of God again. Hallelujah. So if you'll do the work diligently, Daily, of adding to your faith, you'll have a fruitful knowledge of God. You'll never fall, and you'll enter eternity with Jesus. That's the value of persevering. But remember, in order to live, you have to die. John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Those that saw him at the crucifixion, I don't mean to disparage that event or mock it, but some of them might have thought it's all a waste. Because he didn't look too successful there bleeding. He didn't look miraculous as he choked for every breath and said the few words he did. Everything appeared in shambles. The Bible lets us know that it wasn't until after he arose that they remembered, oh yeah, he told us that. Can I tell you, most dreams and visions are that way. Sometimes we hang on to things for eight years, but they do come to pass. Can I tell you that if you'll just keep on keeping on, you will break through to victory. Because every dream has to pass the test of the cross. And if you can get past the cross, there's an empty tomb coming. These 120 had a long week. And as I was contemplating what God was giving me with this, I thought of another group of eight that had a long week. Just before the flood came, one week before, God told Noah to get on the boat, his family, and he did. He didn't shut the door yet, which I believe, and this is my own opinion, and if you have a different one, that's okay. When you preach, you can share that. But I believe he stood at the threshold of that door. There's still time. It's not started raining yet. You can get on. But eventually, after seven days, God shut that door, and of course the flood waters came. They did not know how long it would be either. They just got, were told to get on. And they endured a long week, possibly the longest week. But they persevered. And the same flood that swept away the wicked preserved the righteous. Years ago, <clears throat> Pastor Anthony Mangan told a story at Because of the Times. True story. Story is told of a young man by the name of Monty, who was the son of an itinerant horse trainer. Itinerant meaning he traveled, of course. He would go from stable to stable, racetrack to racetrack, farm to farm, ranch to ranch, training horses. As a result, the boy's high school career was 
continually interrupted. When he was a senior, he was asked to write a paper about what he wanted to do when he graduated, grew up, etc. That night, he wrote a seven-page paper describing the goal of someday owning his own horse ranch. Wrote about his dream in great detail. He even drew a diagram of the 200-acre ranch showing the location of the different buildings and the stables and the track. He even drew a detailed floor plan of a 4,000-square-foot house that would set on his 200-acre dream ranch. Put a great deal of his heart into the project, and on the next day, he handed it to his teacher. Two days later, he, the teacher, gave his paper back to him. And on the front page, he had put a real big, large F with a note that said, See me after class. The boy with the dream went to the teacher, Monty, and went to the teacher and after class, and teacher said, or he asked, he said, why did I receive an F? The teacher said, well, Monty, this is an unrealistic dream for a young boy like you. You have no money. You come from an itinerant family. You have no resources. Owning a horse ranch requires a lot of money. You have to buy the land. You have to pay for the original breeding stock, and later you have to pay the huge stud fees, and there's really no way you could ever do all that. Then handed the paper back to him and said, if you'll rewrite this paper with a more realistic goal, I'll reconsider your grade. Monty went home, thought about it long and hard. Then he went to his dad and asked his dad what he'd do. And his dad said, look, son, you got to make up your own mind on this. However, I think it's an important decision for you to make. After sitting and thinking for a week, possibly the longest week of Monty's life, he turned the paper back in, making no changes at all, and boldly telling his teacher, you can keep the F, I'll keep my dream. Well, <clears throat> the boy with the dream, Monty, became a man, and his dream became a reality. And a few years ago, Monty told the story in his living room of his 4,000 square foot house in the middle of his 200 horse acre ranch. He has the paper now framed and hung over the mantle of his fireplace. He shared that two summers ago, and of course this would have been about maybe 10, 15 years ago, the school teacher brought 30 kids out to that camp, the same school teacher, and when she was leaving, told Monty, in years past, I have been somewhat of a dream stealer. But during those years, I took kids' dreams, but fortunately you did not give up on yours. And so I want to come here today to this pulpit to tell you visions and dreams you have of family and friends being born again, the prayers you've prayed to see loved ones saved, the belief you have that things are going to work out financially or in your marriage or whatever, whatever those dreams are that you're praying for, I'm going to tell you to hang on to it because tough times don't last, but tough people do. In fact, I think some of you ought to get a little bold like Monty and tell the devil, you can keep your F, I'm keeping my dream. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm going to endure to the end. I'm going to continue steadfastly. I've come too far, and I've lived too long. If you think I'm giving up now, you're off your nut. I'm going to pray through, preach through, sing through, and if I lose my voice, I'll yell with a grovelly voice. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. 
I will see Jesus come again. Hallelujah. I will hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus promised He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. He says that right after he says the love of many is going to wax cold. I wonder if there's some people today that'll get a bold spirit within you and say, you know what? I've come too far to turn it back now. I've come too far to give up now. I'm going to press on, pray on, reach up, reach out. I'm going to see the dream. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we clap our hands and love the Lord right now? I started right, and I'm going to finish faithfully. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because you know what? Stand with me. You know what? Brother Travis, I might limp in because of the fight I've been through. Jacob had a limp. I might be scarred and bruised and tattered, but when that trumpet sounds, the Bible says this mortal takes on immortality. This corruptible takes on incorruption. You see, in that moment, every, every pain, every sorrow, mm, it's going to be worth it all. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I might endure a long week. Oh, but hear me, Pentecost is coming. If I'll just keep tarrying, that mighty rushing wind is coming. And I wonder today if there are some people here that'll say, you know what, I'm willing to tarry. I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to press through. I'm willing to do what it takes because I want to experience Pentecost. Hallelujah. Why don't we lift our hands and our voices to the Lord right now? Come on, why don't we love Him as we close out first word today. Jesus, I want to endure. I want to make it to the end. Yes, Lord. I know I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. I know I can make it, Lord, because You made it. You endured the cross. You despised the shame. You are set down at the right hand. Hallelujah. You have a name that's above every name, so I praise You. I love You. And I'm going to endure to the end. I'm going to make it all the way. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord and shout with the voice of triumph, glory. Hallelujah. As you're, as you're getting ready to go into the break, I want you to tell somebody, the devil can keep his F. I'm keeping my dream. God bless you.